0: This is, the, this is the Skate Podcast with your host, WEEI.com Bruins writers, Brian DeFelice, Bridget Prue, and
1: Scott McLaughlin.
0: Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome in episode 187 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bruins take a 1-0 lead in the series over the Florida Panthers last night. Not their greatest effort, I think, by any stretch of the imagination, but... Uh, good news that they were still able to to take the one game lead in the series now.
2: Yeah, I mean it the first period in particular, I thought they were pretty evenly matched. Um they get the post, not goal on the power play. I mean there's a lot of stuff to get into. Um, Florida, we knew coming into the series was going to be a very highly penalized team. Um second highest penalized team in the NHL. And that ended up getting them into trouble and getting them in the hole because the Bruins first goal comes on the power play really smart pass from Bertuzzi to set up Pasternak. Um, and we'll, we'll get into Bertuzzi as well, but I think we should start with the lines because we had talked about on Sunday or in Sunday's practice, they had the lines set up with Zaka centering the first line, um, Bertuzzi, Kraichi and Pasternak, and then Hall, Coil, Frederick. And we were wondering if they were really going to go with that. And we get the answer Bergeron doesn't come out for warm ups. Um, he was listed as a game time decision, but that's not, I don't think that was actually what happened. Because uh, after the game, I asked Zaka, when did he know he was going to be in on that first line? And he said, this morning. So it wasn't like, okay, we're, you know, we're, heading out and bergeron's not you know not good to go right now like an hour before the game i think it was known a bit earlier than that so um anyway the bruins depth was able to really overcome that um missing your top line center is not usually easy for any team but um florida wasn't able to take advantage of it yeah and
1: for a little while it wasn't easy for them i mean they didn't They didn't play great hockey for the first half of that game. They led to nothing. Um, You know, they, as you mentioned, the great play and the power play by Bertuzzi to set up Passenach and then Marsh and get softy where Alex Lyon just can't get a long wrist shot with his glove. Um, But, you know, Florida controlled play through the first period in the half and wondering, okay, like, do they miss Bergeron? Are they going to struggle? That was the game went on. They had a really strong third period. So yeah, it does highlight their depth. But it also highlights the importance of goaltending because both goalies made some great saves, some point blank saves. But Alex Lyon also made a couple of mistakes, and Lena Salmark did not. And you know there were questions around Elmark going in as well because last time we saw him, he was leaving a game you know last tuesday and didn't return he didn't travel to montreal uh was on the ice this weekend but you know still because montgomery didn't name his game one starter until warmups basically like we didn't know for sure that he was 100% totally fine no issues um he certainly looked 100% totally fine like i thought elmark was was great and was even even more so than the Bruins' depth was the biggest reason that they're up 1-0 right now.
2: And when in that, in the morning, they recalled Brendan Bussey. <laughs> and so that was kind of a panic situation where it's like, okay, who's not going? But Swayman ends up, because we had heard Swayman was dealing with an illness, Swayman ends up backing up. Allmark starts. So when you see uh, Brendan Bussey recalled from Providence, you're like, Uh Oh, that's not good. One of the goalies isn't good to go, but it it turned out that both of them were able to dress and, and be there.
0: So Bergeron's out of the lineup to start the game. And I want to get to that in a little bit as well. But one of the effects of that is is Scott, you alluded to it earlier on, which is the pass snack power play goal to start the game. And with Bergeron out of the lineup, it became pretty obvious who they were going to put out for that first power play unit. Um, or opportunity, I should say, and it was it was Zaka, Bertuzzi, McAvoy, Pasternak, and uh, who am I missing? Who Crecci. else is on there? Krejci. No. yeah, yeah, Krejci, thank you. So, um, and and we talked about how that, that unit looked really good down the stretch, uh, since the trade deadline, and with the absence of Bergeron in the lineup, they get the first crack and they get the first goal. And so, I guess, my question to you guys is like. Should we like, sh- should this just be the, the go to unit off the top, even if Bergeron comes back? I'm not saying that the Bergeron unit doesn't get, you know, 40, 50 seconds, but should this unit get the first minute 10?
1: Well, that was my idea, you know, when this unit really started to get hot. Like, that was, I wrote about I asked that question, like, should this just be their top unit? And then they went back to the regular top unit of Lindholm. Passanac, Bergeron, Martian, DeBrusque, and they had a pretty good stretch for a few games um, for about a week Like a- after that. So I thought even that unit started to get going again. I guess, you know, the bigger takeaway and the more encouraging sign for the Bruins is just that their power play in general period has looked better for a couple weeks now. And whatever unit is out there seems to be getting better injuries, moving the puck better, more body movement guys popping up in different spots. Um, you know, like even on that goal, like the play to, to set it up, it's McAvoy and Krejci kind of passing back and forth a little bit. You know, the one time is not really there. They don't have a great shot. What then opens it up is Zaka pops out from, from the bumper into more of the high slot area, takes a pass, pivots and hits Krejci for the one timer, like, that that's something like we just weren't seeing enough of was guys being willing to move out of, you know, like their set spots. So that was key. So, yeah, I mean, I really like this unit. They've looked good basically every time they've been together. Um, but I did also think that the regular top unit was starting to look better down the stretch as well. So, you know, I guess at the, at least like you just, feel better about the Bruins power play in general but yeah it is really nice to be able to have that unit to turn to uh when Bergeron's out of the lineup
2: Yeah and for me the power play didn't the very first power play of the game um didn't it, it did not start out great um so there was a there was a moment where it was like oh god that's not that's not really what you want to see um but it, the bruins end up getting a second power play in the first period and that's the one that they end up scoring on so the first power play had a lot of trouble getting it in the zone and keeping possession a lot of clears by florida um they had to make an adjustment and on the second power play they end up you know getting the the Boston goal but it already has come to bite Florida in the butt that they have taken some undisciplined penalties. And we knew that that was the kind of team they could be. And that's not how they have to play. If they're going to try to win this series against the Bruins who, um, you know, power play at times had not been good in the middle of the season, but it seems to be working fine now. And um, you never want to give pasta more chances than you need to. uh, And he's going to get more looks on the power play. So um, I'm not concerned about the power play, but it did start out kind of shaky They're, I mean, like we mentioned, the first period of the game, maybe the first half of the game, they weren't quite themselves, but um, they're able to still score. And like you mentioned, Scott, have the lead. Um, And, you know, you can't let the Bruins score first if you're the Panthers either. You don't want them to be playing from a position of, you know, comfortability with the lead like that. And they had a chance to extend the lead a few times, but... Lion was playing really well for like the first period and he stopped a few like rush chances. And in particular there was one Taylor Hall set up for Frederick that I'm not sure how he stopped. And I was looked over at Scott and I was like, you were worried about Sorokin, but this kid's playing like so well. And then, and then of course he lets in that softie from Marshawn and had some other lapses later in the game. <laughs> the one where I thought he threw in the puck on the, on the one they called back, but because Hathaway hit it out of his glove. But I was like, wow, that is an all time terrible goal to give it if he just accidentally whipped it into his own net. But we can talk about the goaltending too, but it was just at times he looked so good. You kind of got nervous. And then he he did some other rookie things. It was his first ever uh, playoff game, and we mentioned he only had played I think fifteen or sixteen games in the regular season.
0: Yeah, he had some he had some phenomenal saves. You mentioned the one on Frederick, which by the way, like starts because Taylor Hall is able to take advantage of um, Radko Gudas going for a patented you know open ice body check, hip check, and and Scott made mention of this. In the in the series preview, that like the the Panthers' defense, like yeah, they can play physical. Like Montour likes to play physical, you know, from, from uh, UMass Bridget and uh, mm-hmm. Gudis likes to play physical, but they get but they sometimes do so at the risk of getting out of position and running around, and leading to opportunities. So yeah, that was a great save by by Lion, but um, you know, but it was the Bruins taking advantage of of some poor defense there. But um, yeah, I think in general the Bruins are kind of lucky that Lion did let in some softies, right? The Martian one, the Debrusco one just sitting on his pad, because if you're going to, if you're going to have those goals go in for you, it's, it's good that it happened in game one of round one, because that's when he kind of needs some puck luck because they, and Montgomery mentioned it afterwards, he said they were kind of surprised and not really, really, really ready for, for for the playoff speed, which we've talked about for months now with them not having very meaningful games. Um, so I thought Florida took it to them and I think the Bruins will take it to them for the majority of the series going forward, but they kind of caught the Bruins off guard. They had some guys that are feeling sick, whatever the reason may be. So if there was going to be a night where the Bruins kind of got away with some, um, for- fortunate goals, game one was the one to do it.
1: Yeah. If, if you're Florida, like it's going to be really interesting to see how they respond because that's going to be such a discouraging loss. Like, Everything was lined up for them to win game one and, you know, make things interesting. Like, no Bergeron, some sort of bug running through the team. You, you, the Panthers, have been playing do or die, you know, borderline playoff hockey for months. The Bruins haven't. They've been locked into the top C for seemingly months. Like, everything was lined up there for the Panthers to potentially steal one. They get off to the better start, they're controlling play. And yet, like, their goaltending falters a little bit. They can't beat Allmark. You know, I had mentioned this, like, in my preview, the Panthers, they create a lot of chances they are not a great finishing team. Their defensemen take a lot of shots, and they're banking on deflections and rebounds. You know, they want to create create chaos around the net, and I thought at times they did, but Allmark just looked like the mark we've seen all season. He was just very calm he made some saves on deflections. He was finding rebounds, covering stuff in traffic. Like, you just – you didn't see what you saw with Lion, where, you know, you mentioned that DeBrusque goal where it's Bertuzzi banging away and he doesn't really know where the puck is and it's on his pad. Even the first goal that – you look at that Krejci shot. Like, Lion more or less gets square. Like, he gets across a crease to where he needs to get to. But look at his reaction when that Krejci shot hits him. He has no idea where that rebound is like he's looking around, he's looking over his shoulder and you just didn't see that from Allmark. Like Allmark just looked totally in control where he knew exactly where the puck was at all times. He knew where his rebounds were going. Montgomery said that after the game, when I asked him about Allmark, he was yeah, he was just directing pucks, you know, away from them into, you know, bad areas for the Panthers, good areas for the Bruins. And that's, it's got, it's so frustrating if you're a, you're, if you're an opponent, because it's like, you can have all this other stuff happening where the Bruins, you know, have key, a key player out or two key players out and you think you're playing pretty well against them. And then it's like, oh yeah, they have the triple crown Vesna trophy winning, you know, like historically great goalie in that and good luck. You got to find a way to beat him. It's like, you know, it's it's a video game where like you, you beat all these levels and you're going through and you're like, you know, you're feeling good about yourself, and then there's like this final boss that's just impossible to beat, and you're like, What the hell? This game sucks. Like, you, you, this, this you throw you the throw controller, your controller and you quit, like, yeah.
2: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, he looked very confident, all uh, which is not, you know, it's not unexpected, but I and I saw this column from Sarah Sivian this morning that, um, said. Uh, something to the effect the title is something to the effect of uh Panthers lose their best opportunity to steal series. Um you know they had they had those they had Bergeron missing right there. They had potentially some guys sick. They had some guys returning to the lineup talking about the ruins they had some guys returning to the lineup that hadn't played in a long time in over a month um that you know maybe could have been exposed if you say Forbert you used your speed a little bit better um uh, they they did not expose the Bruins. You know, I wouldn't say weaknesses, but um, you know the the differences in their lineup that they they could have. And the one goal that does come on all was the Kachuk goal, and it comes from a you know a really bad turnover from Orlov, chipping a puck on the backhand into the center of the zone, like right in front of your goalie. Um, never you know the best way to start the breakout. Um, so that was that was an ugly turnover. That's the only goal that Allmark ends up giving up. And I mean, you're turning the puck over to their best goal scorer, um, right in front of the net where with you know the rest of your uh defense not in position. And um that's that's a fixable mistake though. And I thought that for the most part, that McAvoy Orloff pair was they had some really strong stretches. Um but that sticks out as as a pretty big mistake.
0: I mean, some could call it a mistake; others could call it a pretty sick pass to the <laughs> <Yeah>. team. <laughs> um, obviously, I'm kidding. Uh, what did you guys What did you guys make of Forbert's return to the lineup? We talked about him last episode about potentially going in over Grizzlick, who might be battling some sickness or whatever. But how did you feel like he uh, acclimated?
1: I thought he was solid. I mean. You know, I think you spent a – it's interesting because I feel like when you put forward in, like, you're, you're going to be conceding a little bit of possession in zone time, but your, your expectation is that he's going to hold up and do his job when he does have to spend time in the D zone. And I thought he did. Like, I thought, yeah, he probably spent more time in his own zone than you would like, but he does a good job of keeping guys to the outside, blocking shots you know, preventing guys from getting to the front of the net, kind of keeping things under control. And, you know, he was obviously a big part of the penalty kill, which goes two for two and doesn't give up a single shot on goal. So that was another huge plus. So, you know, I thought he basically did, did what was expected of him. And you see why Montgomery wants him in the lineup. Montgomery said after the game, you know, that's basically it. Like he's – it's the D zone stuff. They know they're going to, they know, you know, five on five possession transition wise. They're not as good with forward in the lineup as they are with Grizzly. It's, you know, I think their approach is like the Florida. They're so good offensively and they're good for checking and on the cycle. They're going to get some time almost no matter who's in there. And so they're going to put in the guy that they think is going to hold up better against that.
0: Yeah, I, and Bridget, I'll throw it to you. Um, but, yeah, like, I just feel like there's there's a lot of plays I feel like that can just die offensively for Florida in the Boston zone. Like sometimes it is like when they're in the O zone, the, the Boston D zone, their O zone, like they'll rim, they'll rim it around the boards and try to switch possession on the other side of the O zone. But like like Forber can like cut that off behind the net. And he can do that with his frame and stature. And he can just let that play die on his stick and just like go the other way with it. Whereas and he can absorb like a check or two behind a net and still get that puck to his partner or the center. Whereas as gifted as a skater and as good as a passer as Matt Grizzlick is, he's not better than Forbert at doing that. Forbert can let plays die for Florida behind the Bruins net with his with his just his size and just like literally just blocking a puck on the boards and like eating a couple of hits. Matt can do that too, but not as frequently and as effective as forward can. And I think that's what you're referring to, Scott, about when Montgomery kind of values him in the D zone.
2: Yeah, and and I also thought that he killed plays in front of the net, right? Rebound chances. He was clearing guys out from in front of Allmark, you know, allowing Allmark to see the the rebound chance or finding it and getting it out and just taking away the space for the Panthers to get into that area in front of the net because he's a big guy and you can't easily push him out of that spot if he's got position on you. And I thought Orlov did a good job of it as well, but it saved the Bruins not giving up second chance opportunities to have a stronger, bigger defenseman in that area, clearing out the front of the net. So I think it killed those second chance opportunities as well. And you, you could see the benefit of it. Uh, Grizzlick obviously you could go with him as well but it it did i did notice um some of the physical play with uh Orlov and Forbert um making a difference so it's i think it was one, one of you that mentioned i think it was you Brian that um the matchup probably dictated Forbert over Grizzlik because it's florida um and you know if you drew a different opponent in the first round maybe Grizzlik would be your guy but um yeah, Montgomery seemed like he was, it wasn't It was hesitant to make that change to Forbert. Um, he didn't look rusty, so that was good because we had questioned that. and We actually questioned whether or not he'd be in the lineup at all in game one, um, but both him and Felino come back. Um, Scott, I don't know if you had any final thoughts on Forbert, but we could also talk about Foligno and his first game back.
1: No, I just – You know, it is interesting. Like, I do wonder if, say, Florida continues to control five-on-five play like they did more in the first half of the game. Like, would we see Grizzly come in at some point if the Bruins thought, you know, hey, we need a better transition game. We need more possession. We want to spend more time in their zone. Like, I could potentially see that. But for now, it looks like, you know, all things considered, the game-one formula – with forward in worked pretty well, and the Bruins did find their five on five game, especially in the third period, where you know they outshoot the Panthers thirteen to eight, and really kind of you know gave up a couple good chances, but really for the most part, um, didn't give them any openings to to start a comeback. So you figure if they can play more like that, then you know, then you're you're not really thinking about making a change on the back end as of now.
0: And you're also without your top defensive forward and I think maybe that may have played into it a little bit too. Let's say it was a game time decision between Forbert and grizzly which it wasn't because I think Montgomery said earlier in the day he was in that Forbert was going to be in. But um knowing that Bergeron wasn't going to be in the lineup, maybe that was more reason to kind of just go the more defensive third pair there. So um Bridget, you mentioned Nick Felino. Yeah. Um low key his his return to the lineup in a couple of months, right? So um to my eye, he looked fine. Uh, all things considered, I think he'll just keep getting better and better with with more reps. Um, how did you guys feel like he was?
1: Yeah, I think I think fine is probably the right way to put it. Like, it, you didn't see him, you know, have like a ton, like a burst of speed or anything really. Um, he was involved in you know some scrums, some physical plays, board battles, but like didn't think he was overly physical. So probably a little bit of, you know, first game back, finding his game, you know, finding the, his timing, his feel, all that. So probably to be expected a bit, but uh, you know, I think certainly as he settles into the series, like if he is feeling good, he's a guy you can definitely see, you know, making a difference. The the way that you saw, you know, Bertuzzi and Hathaway, like really bring some energy or at times, you know, That turnover aside I thought Orlov other than that played really well um you know Felino's another one of those guys who like just fits that playoff mold and you hope as he gets you know a couple games under his belt um gets closer to to being fully back up to speed but yeah an encouraging first game back he didn't look way off the pace or anything like that so um all things you know I thought I thought that fourth line in general had a good game like no sick, really key again, 10 of 14 on faceoffs. Uh, they had a lot of defensive zone shifts. They saw a lot of Barkov. Hathaway, you know, the goal that wasn't, but he was all around it all night in the middle of a lot of stuff. So um, we've talked about how that fourth line, it kind of has an attitude and amenity. And, an and I thought you saw that. And I think as Felino gets going even more, you're only going to see even more of that because he can. Bring all of that.
2: Yeah, he he had the fewest minutes of anyone on the ice, which which I mean, not super surprising. He had just under nine minutes, but he, like you said, kept pace. And this is the kind of series they need him, right? They have other guys that can step up and be physical, like Hathaway. But um Foligno is somebody that's not going to take you know some of the some of the cheap shots and and some of the after the whistle stuff. Um, so when we're talking about a grittier matchup with Florida, you look to Nick Felino to handle some of that stuff that happens, um, after the whistle and the game started out really chippy in that there was some pretty dirty plays coming from Florida. And I think maybe the first five minutes, uh, I was just sitting there going, oh my God, they're going to murder like everyone on this team until there's no one left. Like there was a cheap shot up. At- Pasternak, there was Marshawn got high sticked in the face like they were coming out swinging and you need guys on your team that can kind of stop put put an end to that and Felina' is one of those guys
0: well speaking of getting high sticked in the face Bridget you sent Scott and I a video yeah, before we started recording of uh you getting uh <laughs> hit, hit in the face with a couple of microphones during the scrum with Tyler Bertuzzi. so I think mm-hmm. um Which was funny, but I
2: needed Nick Foligno.
0: What's that? (laughs) Yeah, I
2: needed Nick Foligno to come in and clear him out and (laughs) protect me.
0: I I literally got
2: hit with two mics at the same time to the point where I couldn't even see Bertuzzi anymore. (laughs) I was pissed.
0: Well, he um he made his presence known last night. A couple assists in his first playoff game. Obviously, kind of had a viral video go go around with him stealing the cousin's stick and just you know breaking it in the bench and um. You know, that was being,
2: hilarious. By the being, way, it
0: was. It was, and and that was, that was him playing like the like the player and the agitator and pest that he was in Detroit. Like he came to Boston, and he kind of just seemed really well behaved and, and well mannered, and just kind of getting used to his environment. But um, clearly, a player we 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 all envisioned um, relishing relishing the playoffs with with Boston, and he is.
1: Yeah, and I like that after the game, he acknowledged that that was stupid, (laughs) and he's like, yeah, there's going to be stupid things that happen, and that was one of them, and it's like, you know, like, stupid things don't really have to happen, like, you don't have to steal (laughs) a guy's stick and bring it back to the bench, but, and, and, you know, by the way, like, if he gets caught, it is a penalty, like, that's very obviously holding the stick, but...
2: um, Also, you're not not allowed to have sticks you're not allowed to have two sticks in your hands at any time so no matter whose they are like you're not even able to pick up your teammate's stick and try to give it to him like that's a penalty you can't have two sticks
1: yeah but like it's it's the kind of thing that like brad martian would have done when he was younger and might still do at times but you know certainly doesn't do as often but like i know it's like you know after it happened connor ryan tweeted out the video of the game where uh, Marshan tried to push Robbie Fabry into the Bruins bench, like as they're both leaving the ice and he's, he's just like shoving him into the bench. Like it, it reminded me of that, it's just like very annoying or, you know, we go back to like Montreal and, you know, go back like a decade and Sean Thornton, like squirting a water bottle at that guy. It's just like, it, there. it doesn't serve any purpose other than just to be a pest. And that's, part of what Bertuzzi brings. And, you know, obviously beyond that, he played a great game, the, the two assists just come from being all around the net. um You know, he, he played the third most minutes of Bruins forwards. Like that was, that was a huge game. That line with him, Christian Passenach in terms of ice time was the top line and they, they played like it.
2: You call it annoying. I call it entertaining. <laughs> I was thoroughly amused by that. <laughs> it's so stupid. And and I once again I poor Scott has to sit next to me in the press box every game. So he has to listen to all my commentary. But I leaned over to him and I was like, I remember hating this guy when he was on Detroit and thinking he was like so annoying and it but when he's on your team, it's just entertaining. Like when he's when you're watching him play in Boston, you're like that's funny. <laughs> so, so I just watched him break it, and you see like the little bits of his that side of his personality come out. Um, as long as he keeps it under control, and and you know, I guess if you uh, don't get caught, then it's fine. But um, I, I thought it was pretty funny, honestly. And I and to to actually analyze his play on that line, um, that line had so much chemistry. That line was clicking that line. It was like, they knew where each other were on the ice at all times without even like having to look around um, crazy. We always have said kind of plays with the eyes on the back of his head kind of um, sense of where people are. But I think Bertuzzi showed that with the past of Pasternak. And I, I also felt like they were making plays and thinking at a really high pace, um, they, the chemistry was there right away. We mentioned Bertuzzi and and Posh not getting a lot of time together. Um, Krejci and him had a little bit of time together before that, but now when you see that together as a line, uh, it it worked. It, it, it worked. I thought the chemistry was great.
0: Um, so one player I wanted to bring up on the back end was Charlie McAvoy, and there was a play I believe it was in the – I want to say it was the third period, earlier third period. And the Bruins were shorthanded. I think it was either Carter Verhage or Sam Reinhardt, who in my opinion should have been penalized two minutes for a clear boarding. Um, and it, it was very, very obvious to me that it should have been a penalty. Uh, and I thought that McAvoy was potentially one of those concussions a la Carlo or Grizzlick in playoffs past. And, he finished the game and had some piss and vinegar in his next shift and took a run at Sam Reinhart. I guess my question to you guys is, do you feel like, A, he may have dodged a bullet there um, injury-wise, but, B, since he did potentially dodge that bullet, perhaps that may have been a, a wake-up call for him to play, the, play with a little bit of edge that makes him um, one of the best defensemen in the league when he's on his game.
1: Yeah. I thought, I thought that clearly set him off and, and understandably so. And yes, I do think he dodged a bullet because it was, it was a high hit. It was hard. It was kind of from behind, like definitely could have done some damage. You know, you always worry about the whiplash effect or like the head getting pinned to the boards. Um, You know, right after it happened, like I was watching him on the bench and I was waiting to see if, you know, if anyone came down the tunnel to like pull him for a concussion check. And, They didn't. He went right back out for his next shift, like, 40 seconds later. And, yeah, like you said, like, he just came out flying. Reinhardt plays a puck behind the net, and McAvoy just steamrolls him from behind. And it was almost like, okay, like, you're not going to call it? Then fine, I'll play that game. Um, And, yeah, I I thought he had a really good game overall. I thought him and Orlov together... Again, the one Orlov turnover aside was very good. They were on the ice a lot, facing, you know, the Panthers' top two lines. And McAvoy, I just think, looked confident and poised, um, especially in his own zone. Like, he maybe wasn't quite as involved offensively. Orlov definitely was. Orlov led the team with nine shots on goal. But McAvoy, I just thought, played a really strong, solid game. And definitely seemed to kick it up a notch after taking that hit. Whereas, like, all right, like, screw this, you know, you're not pushing me around, you're not knocking me down. Like, now, now you woke me up. Like, deal with it.
2: Yeah, it was like I'm not the hunted; I'm the hunter. <laughs> um, after that point, and you know, every time McAvoy comes up slow, um, you know, or or you see him take a hit high that you can just sense the whole like energy get lower in the building cuz it's always like um like worried immediately because that's a guy that you can't have go down and you know we got that for a second there but um I think Scott said it pretty well and that that pair worked cuz we we had talked about you know oh should they should they Keep the like Lindholm, McAvoy, and Orlov all split onto different lines. Obviously, when Forbert comes back in, the natural fit for him is with Clifton, who also had a very physical game, not surprisingly, and laid some checks and added some energy. So he's one guy on the back end that really can can do that for you.
0: Yeah, that's why I think he's an imperative guy to have in that lineup. And he's only like five ten, I think, five eleven, but he plays he plays much bigger than he is. And He's one of the most physical players in the Bruins, um, so there was never a doubt in my mind that Clifton would be uh, a playoff playoff regular for this team. Uh, you know, I think Florida definitely had an admirable game, certainly the first half of the game. Um, thought I thought Alex Barkov was pretty quiet, uh, but Matthew Kachuk, obviously, he he they rode him to the playoffs, and he was their lone goal. So. Um, I don't know if there were too many surprises on from what Florida showed us last night, and especially considering that that was – and I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but like that we mentioned may have been their best bet to try to put some doubt into Boston. Um, if, the, if the Bruins were to lose game one after that regular season that they had and if at home and, you know, the inevitable headlines would have been out there and the, the doubt would have crept in, and the Bruins, they, they didn't allow that to happen. So um I guess my only lingering thought from game one was just the absence of Bergeron. And look, if it was an illness that kept him out and he was, you know, it was coming out of both ends for him or something like that.
2: Brian. Well, what, 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 Brian. I'm,
0: I'm just, I'm just trying to be blunt. Like, cause, cause that's, cause that's honestly, that's the only reason I could see him <laughs> not playing was if he literally physically could not play. Um, oh so
2: God. So, God. No, it's just the visual. I don't, well, like.
0: <laughs> Hey, look, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> your, your mind went there, not mine. I'm just, I'm just telling the facts, but, um, oh th- to me, to me, that's the only like illness I feel like he would have not been able to play through was would, would be some lingering stomach, bu- stomach bug or something like that, but which
2: pasta had.
0: Yeah. And so like, if, if he got it from him, I guess my question is, it's a long way of saying like, you know, if, if. If he's resting down the stretch and he's not and he's not playing in the game eighty two and he's not necessarily at every practice or every game, maybe he's not exposed to the illness when he got exposed to it. A, but certainly if it's an injury that kept him out that he's suffering game eighty two or game eighty two prolonged, how can you not? How can you not question the way that they handled him down the stretch? He's out now. They won the game, great, but like. You, you mean to tell me he plays, like, most of the season, like, literally almost all, every single game this year, and then he's not ready to go for game one? It's fair to question why it's not ready to go for game one. Is it just bad luck, or, like, could they have handled it better now that we know that he's out for game one? And maybe game two, who knows?
2: There yeah, And there's just one detail I want to add, which was that DeBrus said he was around the team, like, the whole day, which yeah, illness, there, like, you wouldn't want someone around. <laughs> I would think you wouldn't want someone around if it was, you know – contagious um not really sure yeah, what the it, illness is but
1: and there was also the video of uh of him like gathering the team in a, in a huddle which so not only was he around but like very close contact with like with his teammates so so then it was uh, injury
0: then it's injury so so i guess to or, change the question to you okay yeah what, what are you thinking
1: or it was he, he's over all the symptoms of whatever the illness was But, you know, Montgomery mentioned that Lauco lost eight pounds when he was dealing with this. Like, maybe Bergeron's feeling better symptoms-wise, but he's lost 10 pounds over the last week, and his strength isn't there. You know, he shows up to the building pregame, goes through a little bit of a workout, and realizes, like, I I just don't have it. Like, I'm going to be exhausted 15 seconds into a shift. Like, that's the only thing I can think of, but – um. Yeah. I mean, we just don't know. And obviously they're not telling us. Certainly every indication leading up to the game was that like the illness was the bigger concern because that's what Marshan mentioned on Sunday. He said, you know, I think he's just sick. He's fine. Montgomery, when he was asked Monday morning at morning skate, he was asked, what's Bergeron's availability. He wasn't asked, you know, is he sick? Is he injured? And Montgomery went directly to illness. He said, Uh, not only Bergeron, but we have a couple guys who are under the weather. So everything they were indicating was that the illness was the bigger issue. So I guess if you're to believe them, like the scenario I laid out is the only thing I can think of is, okay, he's finally passed the symptoms, but he just lost too much strength and hasn't, you know, had enough time to recover in that respect. Obviously. Yeah. It could be the injury. Like they could just be, kind of deceiving us and not giving us the whole story. So, um, you know, as far as playing him in that last game, I, I just come back to like, to me, that was planned out weeks in advance. Like I had heard for a while that the plan was to play guys and whoever they were going to rest, they were building in their rest in the weeks leading up to that. And Bergeron ultimately got four games of rest over about, you know, a three week span. Um, So I just think like if that was the plan and if Bergeron's saying, you know, I would rather have my rest before the end of the regular season and then play the last game and the Bruins are looking at, you know, all right, how do we, you know, we've seen these other teams that maybe run away from the league, get to the play fail in round one. How do we avoid that? And this was part of their approach and part of what was planned out. Like, I just, I don't have a problem with it. Like I, I I think they were trying to find ways to make sure they were better positioned to be ready to play playoff hockey game one than other teams that have been in their position. And yeah, I mean, any injury in that situation opens the door wide open for second guessing. I get it, but I don't have a problem with them planning that out in advance. And trying what they thought was going to be best to be ready for game 1. So I'm not going to second guess it because I didn't first guess it. I was okay with the plan from the start. So I'm, you know, not going to go back now and be like, "Oh, they totally blew it."
2: Scott never second guesses himself. He's a very confident man. Well,
0: isn't isn't that what a second isn't that what a second guess is? Like you you feel one way and then you're second guessing if you were right about feeling that way?
2: Yeah, but he's not, he's not, he's, he feels like he, you know, he, he knew all along.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess so.
2: But so if, if no, when you say like, I,
1: I just think, I just think they had a plan and, and sorry, I, I just think they had a plan and they stuck to it. And I don't, I'm not going to fault them for doing that. It, it's not like last minute Wednesday night before the Thursday game, they decided who was playing and who wasn't like, that they had that planned weeks in advance.
0: Well I'm I'm more so talking about just maybe in general down a stretch not necessarily Montreal, you know, just in general if maybe they could have rested a little bit more but uh, Bridget you were saying something.
2: <laughs> yeah, if it is the stomach a stomach bug, I really am glad that so far I haven't caught it because <laughs> when I was in Montreal I talked to Bergeron fairly closely that Poissonac when he had it out like we were talking very closely um I'm glad I haven't gotten it. Could I afford to lose ten pounds before beach season? Yes, but that's not how I plan on uh dropping that weight. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I wonder about how like if it's something that was as contagious as it sounds that it passed through the team, why wouldn't you be separating um guys if you know that's the only thing that's that's crossing my mind um with that, and um Anyway, we will find out uh soon enough because Scott, you will be at practice today. So Monday morning, Scotty's heading over to practice and um see if Bergeron's on the ice, see what's going on, um, and get some reporting from today's
1: Tuesday, by the way.
2: Tuesday. I don't know. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> the game was Monday. So... Anyhow, Tuesday, uh, Scott will have some reporting coming out after that. But in the meantime, so what I'm writing and posting today is about how Pavel Zaka did in filling in for Bergeron. Um, and I think it's it's worth mentioning that he had modeled his game after Bergeron growing up, um, you know, as a center. And he had referenced both Bergeron and Krejci as players that he wanted to model his game after and he goes in for Bergeron and it is kind of like he didn't miss a beat and because of the style of play his 200 foot game his solid defense like you don't really like it was probably the ideal replacement for Bergeron that's why you don't see Krejci step up there you don't see Coyle step up there it's Pavel Zaka and he fit in I thought he fit in really well Um, and you know, I, I asked him after the game, obviously this was going to be the answer. Like there's no replacing Patrice Bergeron. He's a, he's a hall of famer. Um, but in my mind, Zaka did pretty much as well as anyone could have in, in stepping in for him.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Like, look, he led the team in coursing and expected goals. Like they, they controlled play when when they were on the ice and they're one of the few lines that did that pretty consistently start to finish in that game. And, you know, he was getting all the toughest matchups. Like most of his minutes came against the Ekblad and Forsling pairing, uh, came against Barkov or Kachuk. Like there was no sheltering there. Now their minutes were down. Like it's, so he finished at 1430 and that line in general didn't get the minutes that the, uh, Bertuzzi, Creechie, Passanak line did, which I don't know if that's just because sometimes that happens. Like, if you're going to get certain matchups, you know, you end up not getting guys as much ice time. I also wondered if, like, maybe someone on that line was dealing with a little bit of illness and, you know, couldn't handle bigger minutes. Like, so the minutes were a little down, but when Zaka was out there, yeah, he was terrific. Like, five on five. I mentioned the power play, the way he pops out from the the bumper. He, He just, He's looked so good at center down the stretch. When he's, whether it's been in place of Bergeron or in place of Krejci, it's like you know we've talked about. He, hey, he definitely looks like he can be you know second line center going forward. I see, I see him with talented wingers, and I'm like, wait, can he be the top line center? Like,
2: well, I, yeah, and Montgomery said so like too. An, Montgomery said he's a top, he's a top two center for us in the future. Yeah,
1: yeah it's like. He he seems to fit anywhere. You, you know, he, when he was with Bertuzzi and Pasternak, that line looked good. Last night he's with Martian and he looks good there and it's like it, you know, I I called him at times especially early in the year like Swiss Army knife and that, like that's what he is. He just fits wherever you put him and he seems to make anyone he plays with better. He just makes a lot of good plays. And he
2: makes life easier for people, too, because of his defensive style. And also, when you think about losing Bergeron, you're you're talking about not just losing him 5-on-5, but he is a penalty killer. Um, he does spend time on the power play, and Zaka can do both of those things as well. Zaka is one of the better penalty killers on the team. Um, he has been most of the season. So, um, you know, Zaka, and in, in the future, if we're talking about seasons beyond this year where Bergeron's not in the picture anymore... It's, it seems like they found a, another Bergeron, in a sense, in the, in the style that he plays and the roles that he can play.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he's uh, – he, we talked about last summer. Um, even before that, it was like, wh- you know, what's this team going to do when Bergeron retires? They don't have any um, high-end center prospects at the time. This is before last year's draft uh, to speak of. Uh, there wasn't really anybody on the NHL roster outside of Bergeron. Um, and, you know, Don Sweeney goes out there and he signs 26-year-old or 25-year-old, I think, Pavel Zaka, who is a form number six overall pick with tons of potential. And now you're starting to see him reach that potential or at least start to scratch the surface. And he's absolutely going to be their number one or number two center um, as soon as next year. And Ty Anderson um, tweeted out last night before the game um, which correlates to this conversation, he said that going into last night, um, the Bruins without Patrice Bergeron this year were four zero and 0 15 goals for 4-8 for eight on the power play, so 50%, and 17 for 17 on the penalty kill, 100%. Obviously, that's a super, super small sample, and I am in no way saying the Bruins are better off without Bergeron than with him. What I am saying is... Um, it's not all necessarily doom and gloom like we may have thought before they had signed Zaka. Now it's just kind of, okay, now, now when Bergeron goes, you just got to find one other guy. Because let's assume Zaka replaces Krejci next year. you just got to find that next guy. And um, Zaka has really helped accelerate that transition to the post-Bergeron-Krejci era because now we know that he will be one of the two going forward.
2: Who needs Bo Horvat? (laughs) You know we talked about that at the deadline. Like, who needs Bo Horvat? He hasn't had a great time since he got traded. So, and of
0: course, now that now that now the Bruins are five and zero after last night without Bergeron, and I'm not gonna do the quick math on what the updated special teams would be because I don't have it in front of me. But so again, just 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 a little exercise, very small sample, but good to know.
1: Yeah, and by the way, like just looking ahead. Georgie Merkalov had a terrific season in the AHL, especially in the second half. And Matthew Pogba, their second round pick from this past draft, had a great year in the OHL. Um, I believe he led the OHL in assists or was very close to it. So not saying like either one of those guys is ready next year or anything to play a top six role, but you at least see some upside now You've, at the center position, even with prospects. Um, so it's – yeah, you you still probably have to have, like, a shorter-term solution, go out, trade for someone, sign someone. But, like, it could be a veteran who's just going to be a bridge to the next generation because now you do actually have some promise in your system as well. And Zion was just such a huge get. and looks like such a good fit to be one of those guys. And it's – you know, in the course of one season, it's no longer – nearly like as doom and gloom in terms of what the future looks like at the center
2: position. I mean, yeah, we just kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of it and it it was still enough to win a playoff game uh, against a a team that was, that had a chance to kind of punch you in the face in game one. Um, So, I mean, you're looking at, and we're getting ahead of ourselves now. (laughs) We're talking about seasons, you know, to come, but uh, I don't think you're seeing a rebuild. Like this isn't a team that's looking like it's set up for a rebuild. They have some really key guys knotted up. Uh, If if you lose pasta you're looking at a rebuild, but um, they have a lot of the bases covered now. Um, And Don Sweeney did a really good job over the last few seasons, filling in for some of the shortcomings in the draft. Um, And yeah, no, it it just doesn't look like that's what's in the future for this team. Um, Anyway, that is, way beyond sorry Brian go ahead
0: no well you just raised you just you just um brought a thought into my head and it's something that people were talking about um like a month ago and it was like going forward if you could only keep one who would you keep Orlov or Bertuzzi and Scott I know you are on a tight schedule so I'll make this quick but I feel like with the with the prospect of Mason and lori being ready to take that next step hopefully maybe as soon as next year or certainly the year afterwards like if you have Lindholm, McAvoy, and, and, and Lorai, I I, I I think I would probably take that because I feel like Tyler Bertuzzi is capable of giving you not everything but a lot of what Brad Marchand has brought to you for the last 12, 13 years. And I feel like he might be somebody to kind of, again, as you mentioned, Bridget, they're not going to be rebuilding beyond Bergeron but beyond Marchand. Like, could Bertuzzi kind of help alleviate that transition by just kind of replacing Martian with a similar type player who's capable of playing top line minutes down the line. So you might not be able to keep a guy like Orlov or a couple others, but hopefully, I don't know. I, I'm wondering what you guys feel about the the future of Bertuzzi in Boston potentially.
1: Yeah. Well, and Bertuzzi's still in his prime years. He's still in his twenties. Orlov's north of 30. So, you know, it also, like, I think if I were Bertuzzi, like I'm certainly looking for, pretty big deal you know this could be the biggest contract he gets so it's going to be tough for the Bruins to keep him. but maybe they're able to find something maybe he really likes it here and you know this is where he wants to be through his prime years um orlov we don't really know what he's going to be looking for like would he be cool with you know a shorter term maybe somewhat team friendly deal or is he looking for one last big payday knowing like You know, knowing that, like, his next contract could carry him into, like, his late 30s. Like, is he looking for that? Because that would almost certainly have to come from elsewhere. I don't think the Bruins are going to be in a position to offer, you know, a 31-year-old Orlov six years.
0: You think they would do, like, a one-year for Bertuzzi? Kind of like a – because he's had some bad injury luck, maybe, like – it's just like a one year fair fair value, just like prove a deal, and then like you know if you do like if you get like you know sixty plus points, like you know we'll we'll lock you up at a at a fair price or seventy points, whatever.
1: I mean, I'm sure the Bruins would love to do that, but I don't. I think that'd be bad advice to Bertuzzi if his agent is looking for something like that. Honestly, like I, I think you look at the season he had last year with thirty goals and sixty points, a strong run with the Bruins down the stretch. You hope project forward a little bit, you know, a really strong postseason, a long run. um, I would not be looking short-term or bridge or prove it or anything like that. I would be saying, this this is my prime. This is, you know, this is my six or seven-year deal. Like, let's be serious.
2: Yeah, I think he's going to get a lot of pretty sizable offers, um, more than likely. But who wouldn't want to play another – Five six years with David postnock because we already know he's going to be year round for eight more. So I mean, if if the prospect is that you get to play on the line with David postnock for the next however many years, that might be a little tempting.
0: Yeah, so I guess we'll I guess we'll have to see. But there's uh, there's tasks at hand, uh, and we'll continue to cover it um, starting in about twenty three minutes when Scott heads over to Warrior to update us on. The latest line combinations and deep pairs. Who's out? Who's in? Blah blah blah. So, um, Bruins are off until tomorrow night. And Bridget Scott, if you have anything else to go over, uh, now's the time. If not, we could probably wrap things up.
1: I I think I'm all good. You know, I am a little interested to see if the Panthers even like consider a goalie change. If there's any yeah. chatter around that, but. um at, you know, Paul Maurice, after the game, said he gave Alex Line an A-plus for how he played, which I'm like, uh, that seems a little – talk about an easy grader. Like, yeah, guy, guy got beat on the wrist shot that he just – did go to Yale.
2: He did go to Yale. So –
1: those 18. Ivy league schools hard to get into easy, easy to get good grades at though. I know.
2: have heard That's, that. I have heard that. That was um, also the, the SID from Yale texting me that that was the first time a goalie from Yale has ever um, started an NHL playoff game. I think ever played in an NHL playoff game. So, um, you know, good for him. Uh, he had a mixed bag for sure. And I was wondering myself if, if we we're going to see a goalie change after that he had some really good he had times where he stole some goals away from the Bruins. So, I mean, maybe you get the same score at the end of the day. Cause he lets in two soft ones, but he also stopped two that should have gone in. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see.
0: Yeah. Well, you I mean, you're paying a guy $10 million to sit on the bench. You might as well see if he can uh,
2: yeah. be
0: worth his value at some point. Right. Uh, it's not like uh, lion is like the next coming of Patrick law. So uh, yes, he did. He did save some goals that should have gone in Bridget, but he also, you know, some of those washed away with a couple of iffy ones. So, um. All right, uh, Scott, you have to go to Warrior. Uh, I believe that probably wraps it up. Any any final thoughts?
2: No, I'm good. No, nope. I'm
0: good. Scott, okay. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Bruins take a one nothing lead in the best of seven series, three to one over Florida. They play Wednesday night next in Boston, and we will talk to you very soon.